if you uh, will indulge me, I will save the unpacking for Michael Jackson's stunning performance of You Can't Win uh, towards the end uh, as I conclude. Um, generally, when participants of the Christian tradition, our brothers and sisters, talk about our vocation, or what we would call calling, they usually mean, is God calling me to a particular job, profession, or some type of uh, work in the world? This is a significant question, because the work we do is indeed important to God. If work is important, it makes sense to ask, well, what kind of work does God want us to do? Keeping in mind that God created and then God rested in the beginning. In the Bible, God does indeed give a call to people, some people at least, to particular work, and gives all people various kinds of guidances for their day-to-day -day lives and work. Although scripture seldom uses the word call to describe God's guidance to jobs, occupations, or tasks at hand, the occurrences in the Bible do correspond to what we usually mean by the word or the, by the vocational word calling. So as a preliminary answer, yes, we can indeed say that God does lead people to particular jobs, occupations, and types of work. But in the Bible, the concept of calling goes deeper than any one single aspect of one's life, such as work. God calls people to be united with himself, herself, itself, in every aspect of our lives. This can only occur, in particular in our tradition, as an invitation to follow Christ and center his teachings, ministry, and life at the core of our lives. The calling to follow Christ lies at the root of every other calling. It's the beginning of every other calling. It's the genesis of every other calling. It's important, however, not to confuse a calling to follow Christ or to engage in a deep relationship with Christ with the calling to necessarily become a professional church worker. People in every walk of life are invited to follow Christ with equal depth and commitment. We, as sanctuary, are invited to follow Christ with equal depth and commitment, whether we serve on the pastoral staff or we don't, whether we serve in the AV or we don't, whether we sing or we don't, we are invited to find a deep relationship with Christ on our journey. In particular, our work must be, integral, must be an integral part of our relationship with Christ himself. His work of creation under, underlies the act of creativity and production in the universe. We see that in John 1 through 3. His work of redemption, her work of redemption can occur in every workplace through justice, healing, healing reconciliation, compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. Colossians 3.12. And having that at work is particularly difficult. I don't know if you experience that, but it's really hard for me to be patient and kind sometimes at work. In fact, I feel like that is the test. Um, Christ's redemptive work is not limited to evangelicalism, but encompasses everything necessary to make the world the way that God has intended for it to be. Well, Chris, are you saying that we should return the sanctuary, that we should return to our evangelical roots, and that we should return to them with haste? No, no, no. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the way we do anything is the way we do everything. We're invited to imagine God working through us wherever we may find ourselves, wherever we are placed, put, or inhabiting. Perhaps we let Christ permeate every aspect of our lives. Personally, I'm looking for less of a division between Chris on Sunday and Chris on Monday through Friday. I want to feel invited to bring Christ into my everyday life. Um, so I, 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 I teach at the University of Iowa, and I teach dance primarily. And um, every year, I, I come across students who make dances, and I'm attempting to mentor them on their dance making. And 
if I see another dance by Britney Spears Toxic, I will just jump. I just jumped. I just can't. I just, it's just, and, and I like Miss Spears. You know, I'm down with Miss Spears, but this is dramatic pulses of the arms and legs, and in, in every class it's the same. And so I have to figure out how to say to them gently, what other musical choices might you, might you think about? Or what other ways can you be invited to join us here in this? Do you have to face forward? Does it have to have lyrics? Um, with an idea of really uh, asking students to not seek from me approval, to let me hold back my approval about their dance making. Um, and that if they're excited about it, and if they're happy about it, well then it's a good dance. And for some students, they're like, yeah, 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 but Chris, it, you, you, is it good though? Is it good? I'm like, is it good for you? If it's good for you, then it's good. And then there's some students who are upset by it. And I find primarily women-bodied students are upset when I'm withholding my either, even withholding my approval for making space for them to, to not need me to validate them. And it becomes a little troubling sometimes, but, but I really need it from you. I really need you to say I'm okay. And I say, your work is excellent. But, but about this dance, your work is excellent. Your work is excellent. And so there's a way in which I, I try at least, attempt to bring ideas about equity uh, justice into my classroom um, as a way of decentering even my own authority, my perceived authority, or decentering the need to please me as a teacher. And if by calling we might mean a direct, unmistakable command from God to take up a particular task, job, profession, or type of work, this actual calling is very rare in the Bible. No more than 100 people or so were called by God in this sense. God called Noah to build the ark. God called Moses and Aaron to their tasks. He called prophets such as Samuel, Jeremiah, Amos, and others. He called Abraham and Sarah. He taught people to take up leadership positions. Jesus called the apostles and some of his disciples, and the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries. The word call is not always used, but it's the unmistakable direction from God towards a particular task, and in, in, in a particular task, and this task is clear in every case. And I like to say it don't be alarmed. Um, it's okay if you have never heard a direct voice from the Lord. If you can rest assured that you are, you are good, you are cool, we got you, you are a part of the family, if you never heard a direct audible voice from the Lord. And if you're like me, I hope I have not heard an audible voice from the Lord. <laughs> I hope the Lord chooses not to communicate to me in that way. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a little easy to be frightened. I don't want to be brushing my teeth and hear a word from the Lord. I'm actually okay with hearing the word from the Lord from the appointed pastors and leadership. I actually don't need to hear him or her audibly tell me to do something because um, I'm easily frightened, um, if that makes any sense. And this sort of idea is still nestled within a conversation about, well, well, what happens if I need to choose between two gifts? So what happens if there are two things that are calling me? Or what happens if I don't hear anything at all? And I think moving or looking towards Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane might provide us some clarity or, or at least a counter moment to, to these kinds of questions. I'll read it for you. It won't be posted on the screen. Then Jesus, and I'm reading from Matthew 26, 35 through 58. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little bit farther, he fell on his face towards the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He then returned to his disciples and found them sleeping and said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you, don't, so that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time to pray. Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, then may your will be done. He came back again and found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away to pray once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping? Are you still resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. For here comes my betrayer. And on this occasion, Jesus' human nature and his divine nature are clearly seen as he goes into the garden of the disciples, which is actually an olive tree plantation. Jesus takes Peter and John further into the circle to, and, and his, inner, his sort of inner circle of disciples into the garden with him, and he tells them he is distressed to the point of death about what is to come. He asks Peter and John and them to keep watch and, and they are aware that something, I imagine, they're aware that something important is happening, but they don't perceive the true anguish of Christ. And yet they can't stay awake. Jesus is, in this moment, both fully God and fully man, always, but in this moment, Jesus is fully human. He's saying, actually, I don't want to die for these people. I don't, I don't want to die. Let it pass. So much so that he has to go back three more times to pray. And if Jesus has to go back three more times to pray, then I think it's okay for me to stumble and, and have doubts about what I may be called to do or may not be called to do. If Christ, the embodiment, the living embodiment of God needs to go off and pray a couple times, I feel all right if I need to go and pray a couple times. Because Jesus is called to do something he doesn't want to do. And when Jesus, who is the savior of the whole world, and especially those who believe, is called to do something that he doesn't want to do. And he's still in his divinity and in his humanness says, but it's not my will, it's your will. He moves through his difficulty with God's grace and with such grace that it might mean that whether we're to lead a new version of the kids or youth wing, whether it is we are called to preach or not preach, minister or not minister, it may not matter because God's will may indeed be worked out no matter what we choose to do, what we put our hands to do. We might have blessed or touched upon our lives the divine encouragement, which can feel elusive, but is with us, whether we feel it or not, because God is indeed with us. And I find in my own life, whenever I have a sensibility, not that it, it goes for everyone, that it's, it's, it's universal, it's never something easy. Whenever I feel like I have to do something and there's a sense of call towards something, it's always difficult, it's always hard, and generally it's the hardest thing to do. And often when I think about, ah, oh, God would want me to do this, it's never, it's never light-footed. It's that it requires me to stretch myself almost to the limits of my capacity. And then I see where my stumble is, and I see where I fall, and there is where God meets me at my stumbling moment, at my falling moment, at the moment when I can't go further, I think I can't go further, and there in that space, the gulf between God and me, am I met? 
And in, this, in, that, in the gulf between what I can't do and what I need God to help me with or meet me there, I think about my relationship with other people in a different way. I think about my relationship with Christ in a different way. Christ always pushes me to go just a little bit further than what I thought I could do. Even in my stumble and my falter, even when I'm unsure and I have to go back seven times because, you know, if Jesus went three, I need seven, or maybe 20. It's an opportunity for God to show up yet again, as she has always done before. And again, some might be thinking, well, Chris, if I don't hear God's voice and I don't hear the Lord speaking to me audibly or in a way that I hear, um, how do I know I'm called to do any particular blank task? And I'd say, we just get up and do it. We go towards, we, we, we just go towards, put our hearts to God and our hands to work. We just put our hearts to God and our hands to work. And it's okay if we don't hear from God individually because we have heard from the Lord collectively and corporally. God has spoken to the whole church and has told us what is good. We know what is good or mortal, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. It's really quite clear. We just get our, we put our hands to doing that. Um, and that is the call for the whole church. There's a cute little word I like to use in class a lot. It's called intertextuality. Um, it, it makes students go, ooh. Um, and so I like to drop it in every now and again. Um, so I'll do it now. Uh, intertextuality is it's when one text is shaped by another text or references another text. As you might have seen, The Wiz is referencing heavily The Wizard of Oz with the classic with Judy Garland. I would have played that one, but I felt like it was just too, 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 too much. So I had to withdraw a little bit to the middle. Um, and so intertextuality functions for me in a way is that I too, when I'm sitting in the congregation, I hear from our pastors um, and our other leaders. I hear from A.D. Tom, David, Chris, James, and others. And I say all this to say that I am shaped by also listening and hearing of the word of God as it is given, through, given to us from our pastors and pastoral staff. And I say all this to say that um, David, David Borgia German preached two Sundays ago about how we should judge whether an action or a dogma or part of our tradition is good or bad. Um, he suggested we should not get lost in the theology of the thing or get overly invested in being right. I'm always overly invested in being right. I like being right. It's one of my favorite things. Um, but, but David says, hold tight, Chris. Do not become overly invested in it, but instead judge said action, said dogma, said tradition by its fruit. What kind of fruit is this thing bearing? Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Is it apple, is it banana? Is it rotten, is it good? And I'd say moving that idea forward, we can judge the work that we do, even if the call wasn't directly for us in a way that we hear, by what kind of fruit it's producing. We can put our hands to work and see what then comes from it. And I'm remembering David Borges German's two months ago sermon, where he talks about uh, this, one of the disciples comes to Christ and says, there are other people preaching like you do about you and healing people and casting out demons, and they're over there, but they're not with us. They're not in our inner circle. You know, you could do something about that. And Jesus says, well, if they're not against us, they're for us. And in that moment, I imagine that if we're not actively working against the, the promise of God, and we're working towards the promise of God, then no matter what we put our hands to do, we'll be blessed and held by God. Because we're blessed in the city, we are blessed in the field, we're blessed when we come, we're blessed when we go. Our storehouses will be blessed, those storehouses will be blessed, the grain will be blessed, everything we touch will be blessed because we are blessed. If you're like me sometimes, I'm not quite sure whether I should be a pastor. 
I'm not quite sure whether I should have been a professor. I'm not quite sure whether I should be a dancer. Was it actually really that good, but that's okay. Um, I'm not quite sure whether I should, which is why I probably teach it. I'm not sure if I should be doing any of these things, but I'm sure that I want God to follow, to follow me and be with me in every aspect of my life. And I know for sure that I can join in in the little ways that I can when I'm not late um, to <laughs> our, the vision that our leaders have received from the Lord. And that is collectively and with us collectively. Um, I think David Borgia German is correct. We can judge it by its fruit. We can join in on the vision that we're building, that our pastors are building. And in this little house in Zion, we can follow them. We don't have to worry so much about whether we heard the call because we are part of the family. It will become clearer and clearer and clearer because our gifts will make room for us because magically we'll need one person to do something that only you actually can do and none of us can do it. And so therefore, the space will be made for you. Because everyone is called to belong to Christ and to participate in his creative and redemptive work. Everyone is commanded to work to the degree that they are able. And that can only be really negotiated between you and God. And God calls us to a whole life and not to a job. I'm gonna go rogue and go off script for a second. Um, as I tend to do, uh, there is a, a crossover between evangelicalism and capitalism that says that we need to have a particular call and that we need to be working for productive. And that productivity um, is strange because it requires us to have a kind of fervor that I don't think stems from the Christian tradition. I think it's a fervor of producing, producing, producing rather than a fervor of rest uh, and an adherence to the sacrament of uh, the Sabbath. And so, I want to just alleviate, again, in case you were in the back and you didn't hear me, I want to alleviate the fear that you need to do any particular call, except that you just get in where you fit in, if you can. My grandma used to say this thing to me if I looked like I was like not doing something. She used to say, look busy. Jesus is coming. <laughs> and, and she just huddles off, right? And at any given point, if you like just just seems to be just like doing your thing. Look busy, Jesus is coming, he coming. You gotta get, get ready, you better get ready, you better live right. And so, um, my grandma, uh, like the early church, imagined that Jesus is coming tomorrow. And I, I do think Jesus is coming. Um, I'm just not sure that he's coming tomorrow. Um, but this sense of you look busy, get put your hands to something, um, rings clear from my African-American community church and to the way that I think about it is that I don't have to struggle so much. I can just get busy feeding the hungry. I can stand beside the broken, and I must, I must, I must, I must go, and go quickly. And I return to the scarecrow now, um, and to a song that is quite jubilant and is also terribly, terribly sad in its, in its articulation. You can't win, you can't break even, you can't get out of the game. Arguably speaking to, an experience, to some experiences of African-American people, most definitely. And the sense of uh, these crows are doing the very opposite that they're supposed to be doing, which is being afraid of the scarecrow. And in fact, they're terrorizing or controlling the scarecrow, which is a real reversal of roles. The scarecrow can't even get down and walk in his own garden, so to speak. And the scarecrows in, in my world 
is discernment. One of my crows is discernment because I'd like to weigh the pros and cons of something, whether I should move or not. I like to do a little list, check it twice, make a chart, make a graph. And all the while, the, the moment of action has come, has gone, and has come back again, and I'm still deciding that if I should do it or not. Really, it's a procrastination technique. It's because I don't want to do it. And so I'm going to find all the ways and reasons as to why I can't do it or weigh it again to see if it's different. And, true, and in truth, it's the same as it was when I first started. My other crow is negative self-talk. I have crows who like swarm around who are like, yeah, I can't do it. You wouldn't, you shouldn't do it. You, you won't win. You can't go forward. You look silly. And they have their own little like mantra going on. And in some ways, it's my job to silence those particular crows and also to silence the crow of discernment. I have another crow, uh, would be my ego. What happens if I make a fool of myself? What happens if, I, if it doesn't work out perfectly? What happens if, it looks, if I look bad? Um, so not stemmed from a place of like, I'm just gonna go anyway and try it, and if I look bad, man. No, this crow is particularly uh, aggressive. And I have a crow of scarcity too. Um, that says, what is there to lose from going forward? What is there to lose from moving in this way? Um, and this crow, there isn't, a, there isn't also a matching crow of, um, of abundance. No, that crow is never nowhere to be found. <laughs> Only the crow of scarcity appears and says, you have so much to lose if you do blank and blank and blank. And it never tells me how much I have to gain. In terms of our calling, our vocation, we, we, just, we do work. We fit in where we get in, if you can. We look towards the wider world because God said it is good. Not perfect, but good. We break down the barriers between our church family and the wider community that we're in. And finally, we recognize, although I will briefly pass by it, we recognize the call towards repentance when we have stumbled, when we have said things or done things that are inappropriate or hurtful, and we recognize them, we repent, apologize, or better yet, we realign ourselves with the mission of our God, and we move forward. And I'm a big fan of our Jewish brothers and sisters and their commentary book. I really love it, and it also helps that our pastor um, is Jewish, so that also feels really good to me. One of our pastors is Jewish, and that feels really good to me, is that it says something sort of like this. Um, you are not required to finish the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. One more time, just for the people in the back. <laughs> you are not required to finish the work, nor can you abandon it. We just gotta do a little bit of it. Amen? And for the word of God found in scripture, for the word of God found in the practice of our everyday lives, and to the word of God found in our church and in our church community. Praise be to God. Amen.